Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back and we are now one full week removed from WrestleMania 39 here to break down everything that happened over the last week and a little bit before that as well. In the world of WWE, the Getting Over crew is back together again. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride momentarily. But as you know, when we kick off these shows, the Silver King has some business of which he needs to take care. Allow me to begin with a reminder, of course, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, let's not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings. On Apple, please leave a five-star written review. And if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. We actually got three five-star written reviews over the last week. Unfortunately, I'm only able to read one of them because the other two were international. And if they're not from the United States uh, Apple iTunes site then I need to know which countries to go out and seek the reviews. That way I can find them and then read them on the show. So if you did acknowledge us with a five-star written review on Apple, please uh, DM us. You can email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Let us know what country you're from. I'll find it. I'll read it live right here on the show. The one from America, though, was from aaron316, boycott. Not us, thank God. Uh, Five-star review. In light of Vince returning, I'm struggling with saying goodbye to the WWE. Still going to listen to the podcast. It's great, exclamation point. I just don't think I can support WWE anymore. Well, Aaron or A.A. Ron, we are going to get into that momentarily on the show. We do have a couple other acknowledgments, though, to send out there because a number of you have chosen to support us on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over our Patreon equivalent site where you can become a member. You get exclusive posts, audios, a whole bunch of stuff over there. It's going great so far, but we have not had the opportunity to acknowledge everyone that has joined up for monthly and yearly memberships. So with that, let me go ahead and do it right now. Thanks to Paul C., Dave L., Louis V., M. Stokes, LSU Jordan, Stephen D., Nick D., James F., Brett M., J. Brax, Josh M., Matt S., John S., Jordan S., Jeff W., Marcus R., Craig F., CJ Track, Big Blaine, Dino C., and Alex B. Acknowledge! Acknowledge! Big acknowledgement right there! Now, those are our monthly members. We also have yearly members already. Adam K, Michael A, Jason J, Sammy R, Eric M, Adam B, Michael G, Joe L, Michael R, Blake M, Matthew P, and Tony S. Not that Tony S, but also Asif D. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. So we acknowledge all of you. Also, thanks to Jonathan P., uh, CJ Track, Valerian L., D. Martin, and Sakant for supporting us with donations. For all those wondering, the memberships get you all the bonus content. The support is just helping out the show. And if anyone who supported misunderstood that and you want a membership, we can work it out for you. Email me, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. We'll get that all together. And lastly, I would be remiss if I did not remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news updates, highlights, and so much more. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Finally, 
<sighs> Chris, I can welcome you into the show. And we have plenty to talk about from the week in WWE. We also have plenty to talk about from over the last week in WWE, really dating back to the Raw after WrestleMania and some of the items we did not get to discuss from Monday, Tuesday, and even Wednesday of last week. So first, are you rested and relaxed? Are you ready to get into the show? Yes. Good to be back. This is a normal episode. Appreciate everybody who who listened last week. Adam was doing it on his own uh, from the Masters. Mm -hmm. I was in Birmingham, Alabama for a story. So we were just on the road doing different things right after WrestleMania. A lot happened. We briefly talked about a reaction to the sale on uh, Monday morning last week. Bonus instant reaction podcast, by the way. Yes, that that was yep that was out there. We definitely appreciate and acknowledge all the supporters that we are starting to get into this. Uh, yes, as opposed to boycotting WWE because of Vince in charge. Good news, bad news. I think uh, we'll get into the details here, but yes, good to be back for a normal week again. Yeah, and you know it's great to reconnect with Chris. You know, doing the show on my own is certainly not as fun. And some of you heard the audio quality was quite poor as well. I apologize for that. Thank you for still listening at your normal rates and sticking with us. Hopefully everything sounds back to normal for you right now. Now we're going to get into the main event eventually. And we're going to talk everything that happened on television on Friday night, Smackdown, of course, and Monday night raw. We do have some news and notes to get to first, and then we are going to talk about WWE creative and the Vince McMahon situation, which Chris did not get to touch on last week. So first two notable news items. Charlotte Flair reportedly has informed WWE, uh, she did it during WrestleMania weekend, that she is going to be taking a break from the company. Now, this had nothing to do with Rhea Ripley winning the SmackDown Women's Championship. That was planned anyway. Originally, she was going to beat Ronda Rousey for that title. But this ended up being, Chris, a semi-typical Charlotte stint in WWE. Return, immediately win the title, put on a banger match or something equivalent to it, and then drop the title. But she was only back for three months after being gone for the eight months prior, which is way shorter than usual. Now, PW Insider is reporting that she may do a bodybuilding competition that she's wanted to do for a long time. She also plans to travel with Andrade El Idolo. Fair play. You know, if you can do it, do it. Uh, But I'm telling you this right now. If Charlotte returns to WWE and is the one to beat Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship, I'm going to flip my lid. Yes. Uh, that that eight months that she was gone was easily the longest that she had been away. So it is notable to have basically back almost back to back long steps away from the company. Uh, when when I talked to her a month or so ago, I asked her kind of what what she wanted to do, what her future was. She's she hasn't been wrestling all that long, right? Um, and yet she's accomplished everything at this point. You know, do, do you want to go on and do other things in your life? And she at least didn't say anything. Wasn't quite sure, uh, but as was reported there, maybe she does have some things going on. So I don't think it's bad to keep her away. Just when she comes back, make sure she's a heel. Don't do this face <laughs> thing again. Right. And have it be a good, have a plan, a story in place, not just come back and immediately win the title right off the bat again. It just feels to me like, what is she at? 14 title reigns, I think now, and they want her to beat yes. her father. It just feels to me like this is what we're going to get from Charlotte over the next couple of years where or maybe not even the next couple of years, the next like year and a half where she's gone, comes back, wins a title, drops it and just artificially. And the whole thing is obviously artificial. It's professional wrestling, but artificially gets her number up to 16 and then returns and has one really big, long storyline where she wins 17. She eventually, you know, she passes her father, Ric Flair. She eventually drops that title. 
and then retires or if she does have plans in her life with Andrade to have kids at that point, then they could have kids. You know, it just feels like that's the direction it's going with Charlotte. And, you know, no offense to her. Again, the match with Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania, absolute, complete and total banger. Like there's no other way to describe it. Five-star match, incredible Mm -hmm. stuff. But that was the only thing she did during this entire three-month run that interested me at all. Like when I see her on screen now, it's kind of cringing and you know she works way better as a heel sure but trying to do the baby face stuff she got rattled by the crowd this time around it's like you know when she was gone for eight months I wasn't hankering for Charlotte to come back like I would have been with Becky Lynch or Bailey or like I am now with Sasha Banks if she does decide to return to WWE it's just like she really sucks a lot of the air out of the room when she's on television and in the women's division and there's so many other women now that have developed and raise their, you know, stakes of their individual careers where she's just not needed like she used to be. Uh, uh, agree. I do. I still think she's the top women's heel when she's in that role. I guess. Um, yeah. A lot, lot of the other wrestlers, Bianca, Becky, Asuka, people cheer for. You know, it's just yeah. they like them. They're generally. Well, maybe Rhea Ripley faces. can take that role now. I mean, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, so we'll see. And they do have a couple Charlotte clones coming up from uh, NXT. I wouldn't say clones. It's actually unfair to them because they're both extremely talented. But Tiffany Stratton and Sol Ruka right now uh, kicking ass, and they are ready to kind of be the heir apparent to the part of the throne that Charlotte Flair holds in WWE. The other big news item, Logan Paul renewed his contract with WWE on Monday, which is odd because it was first announced last year, Chris, as a multi-year contract. I presume maybe there was just an option after year one or something that he could lock into or they could renegotiate or whatever the case, but he's sticking around. It was again announced as a multi-year deal. And really, there's no reason for him not to continue wrestling. As we have said numerous times, he's a natural. He's great at it. I presume he'll next wrestle at King and Queen of the Ring or SummerSlam, given they're not really building anything up right now. Uh, for backlash. I suppose money in the bank is another option or opportunity for him. Hell, you could put him in that match. Hey, he could, he shouldn't win money in the bank, obviously, but you could put him in the match and I would actually possibly be okay with it as long as he won a qualifier. At some point though, Chris, Logan Paul is going to have to start winning some legitimate matches. And I'm wondering when that's going to happen and against whom. And for some reason, I can't pinpoint why. AJ Styles keeps coming to mind as an option. One of those guys that Logan Paul will be able to beat when they decide to have him start winning. I'm going to be interested to see how he's booked and if he is firmly going to be around for multiple years, if that changes some of WWE's plans. You and I have talked about them splitting the world titles and once that eventually happens, Logan getting one of them because it's really not that far-fetched. He actually can carry it. Uh, I think the United States Championship would be make a lot more sense for him as the lower of the two mid-card titles, but the whole thing is very interesting with Logan Paul right now. Yeah, and and the fact that he is secured for however long, we don't know. I think further is my belief that he is going to be a world champion at some point. You laying out money in the bank, as I heard that, I thought to myself, that might be it. Imagine him with that briefcase. Yep, taking the briefcase everywhere, Mm -hmm. putting it on the background of his shows. Mm And eventually cashing in at some point and not having to cash in and immediately like you could wait, you know, if he has that briefcase, he's not going to be on TV all the time. So when he does show up, you're like, holy shit, not only is Logan Paul there, 
He has the briefcase. This could be a situation. He's not going to cash in on Roman Reigns. You don't want to give the briefcase to someone who would go after Roman Reigns unless they do the Cody as John Cena thing where he wins it and then he cashes it in and says, I'm cashing it in for the main event of SummerSlam. You know, if you do something like that, Cody can win it. But you don't want to put money in the bank on like LA Knight just so he can go and get his ass kicked by Roman Reigns. Like, you know, you you want someone to hold that briefcase for months until Roman does eventually drop the title and then they can cash it in on the new person. Hopefully not the second they win the title, obviously, but, you know, shortly thereafter. Or if they split the titles, he can cash it in on the new champion. So I do think that is an interesting option for him and a good way for WWE to get publicity. The IWC will absolutely hate it. But I got to tell you, I think it would hit pretty well. Yeah, I mean, whatever you think about Logan Paul, and there's plenty you can think, uh, the guy was born to be a pro wrestler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is what he's the best at. Of all the things that he does, it turns out this was the thing he was good at. So let's get to the other big topic on this show, what Chris was not able to address last week. And after this, we'll get to the main event. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll wrap up the show. I want to have a larger conversation about WWE creative and the for lack of a better term, Vince McMahon situation that the company is now facing. Now, you guys heard my spiel last week coming out of that simply terrible Raw after WrestleMania. I'll tell you that I was quite detracted about the entire thing, especially I was exhausted coming off two nights of WrestleMania podcasting with Chris, a breaking news podcast Monday morning before both of us left for you know travel plans. Um, that delayed my travel. I ended up getting into Augusta, Georgia after nine hours into my hotel room at 7.59 p.m. No exaggeration. 7.59 p.m. Switched on the Raw after WrestleMania, immediately following a nine-hour drive with only one stop. And straight up, seeing that Raw, it ruined me internally for about 48 hours. Between the night two WrestleMania decisions, the sudden sale news Monday morning, and that Raw, my enthusiasm was just completely drained from my body. And I was at the damn masters and I was in a really, really bad mood. Now on last week's show, I gave my take based on the information that was available, which was that Vince McMahon, fresh off the Endeavor merger announcement, ripped up the raw script, literally took Paul Levesque's seat in gorilla position, overseeing what was the worst raw of 2023 and among the worst episodes of WWE television in a long, long time. What came with that were reputable reports of talent being frustrated and unhappy, Paul being unhappy that Vince literally sat in gorilla position where he normally is, long-term concerns about WWE creative, all of this, Chris, coming off the best nine-month stretch, even including the poor women's booking that WWE's given us in years. And I was wrapped up with this general sentiment on that show. It's one thing to watch bad wrestling. We've done it. It's another thing to be reminded how good or great it can be only to have it taken away from you. That hurts even more. So we can discuss in a moment how we feel now going into today's show after another SmackDown, after another Raw, but I want to get your delayed reaction to the developments of last Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and where you would have been in your headspace if you had been on last week's show. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you where I, I was first. I, I got into Birmingham, Alabama, watched the show at, at night in my hotel as well. But then Tuesday, I was busy all day, so I couldn't do the pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to the pod Tuesday night, your reactions, almost half of the entire pod while I waited in a very long drive uh, drive through line for cookout, which uh, for people who have not had cookout. Okay, we need to have. Food. All right. I'm going to let you finish. But before the main event, I want to talk to you about cookout because I almost but didn't have it this week. So go ahead. Okay, hold put putting a pin We're in putting that. Putting a pin in cookout. Yeah, uh, you, you 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 nailed everything. I thought I thought the show was dreadful. One of the worst raws I remembered in a very 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 long time. So much stuff that made complete nonsense. I actually I think texted you that night about. I was like I was like I know we say this all the time, but this is one hundred percent a Vince show. Like we just, we <laughs> yes, it. and it, it and it was, and but you made a good point, which was. How much of this was because Vince was in town for mm-hmm. WrestleMania and would it change moving forward? And I think we got that answer through this last SmackDown and Raw, which we'll talk about today. Mm-hmm. But yes, last week's Raw was absolutely dreadful. And I, I like to imagine WWE brass at least saw the reaction to that. Were you coming out of that show? I mean, it's one thing to acknowledge that it was bad. We both agree. But were you as like depressed and pessimistic and like, did you feel kind of the energy and excitement that had been built up for WWE over the last nine months drain from you the way it did for me? 100%. Not only did most of what happened on the show mean absolutely nothing or advance any stories moving forward, the Cody Brock stuff, which we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. was completely bizarre to me and was a very, very strange way to end the show. And that's why you read it. I texted you this and you read it on the show last week, which was that it was two nights in a row. WWE promised and teased us some big thing. Maybe Cody winning the championship and Brock Lesnar in a tag team match on Monday Night Raw, only for neither of them to happen. And and the turnaround in excitement from the fan base, including myself, over 48 hours from Saturday night to the end of Monday night was so incredibly striking. And it was a real highlight of just how big of a difference Triple H being in charge meant. Yeah. Even if like we, we, you couldn't, sometimes it was hard to compare certain things, this to that, but to go in those 48 hours and clear Triple H stuff to clear Vince stuff, the drop off was dramatic. And by the way, if it had been a little flipped and Cody was champion coming out of WrestleMania and they did that exact same angle to start the show with that scheduled main event, it would have worked. It would have made all the sense in the world. Brock now able to challenge for the title goes after the new champion. You know, Roman doesn't matter about him. And we may have seen it coming a little bit had they done it that way. But it wasn't one of those deals where it like swerved the audience and WWE got us and kudos to them. You know, they got us angry. No, it was like depressing and annoying and dejecting. And I mean, it was just it was really, really rough coming out of Monday night into Tuesday. So you mentioned this week. We're going to talk about this week. Then we're going to talk about cookout. Then we'll get to the main event. Um, When it comes to comparing SmackDown and Raw this week to the Raw after WrestleMania, it's actually a difficult ask. So let me make something clear from the start here, okay? Before he resigned and retired, Vince did not attend every Raw and SmackDown. There were many weeks, and sometimes for periods of time, he worked from Stanford or his private jet, wherever. He changed strips, made tweaks, everything that he normally does. So 
These breathless reports that we're now getting twice a week from certain journalists, whew, Vince isn't at Raw tonight, thank heavens, they're kind of meaningless, a little bit. It's not like he had previously only been involved when he was physically present. But the legitimate difference between then and now is Vince was the head of creative and Bruce Pritchard would stand in for him at those live shows as the voice in attendance. Now, Vince is not the head of creative. You know, just in terms of titles and responsibilities, Triple H, Paul Levesque, is the head of creative in the chair at Gorilla Position. The roles have changed. Now, Vince, no matter what, is going to be the top decision maker in WWE. He will surely decide when and to whom Roman drops the undisputed championships, just as an example. The question that remains is what you brought up a moment ago, whether what happened on the Raw after WrestleMania was kind of happenstance because Vince was already in Los Angeles for WrestleMania. His chest was puffed out. He was feeling himself coming off the Endeavor sale merger, whatever you want to call it. The mustache was out as well. The the mustache was nicely greased and finely tuned at the ends and the hair was colored the night before, you know, whatever the case might be. And whether that was just a one-off or whether that would repeat itself week to week. And what I can say, Chris, coming out of Friday and Monday, it seems that sliver of hope that we were holding on to with both hands, white knuckles, last week on this show, it might have come through. SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday largely felt like the shows we had been getting under Triple H. Raw was a little tough to judge given half the roster did not arrive in Seattle due to travel issues and some like Sami Zayn and Matt Riddle did legitimately get there late. I've seen no specifics, by the way, on what those issues were. There weren't any major storms or airport problems nationwide. So that whole thing was confusing, but I digress. My spirits were absolutely lifted Friday night watching SmackDown. And Monday did nothing to make me feel any worse. Yes. And as we think about it moving forward, we need to remember that we are now post-WrestleMania versus pre-WrestleMania. We're, we were very, very excited going into WrestleMania because of the stories and all these things, because it was WrestleMania season. There was always an immediate lull, a, a, a couple, you know, coming out of Mania. Mm-hmm. The ratings post-Mania are always big, and then they, like, torpedo, like, two weeks after WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's worth keeping that in mind. There were, Raw was a bit of a tough watch, but again, could have been because of travel. Could have been because you don't have Roman Reigns there. Could have been because it's just general post-WrestleMania. So even if these next handful of shows are not, oh, it's not what it was, you know, in March. Well, March was a little bit different. It did seem like a step in the right direction. They are saying local medical facility, and I'm pretty sure Cody Rhodes said WrestleMania backlash. He did. uh, I I think that was accidental from Cody. Potentially, but those two things jumped out to me as potential Vince things. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, yes, it did feel more like back to the old, most notably backstage segments. Mm -hmm. Those went up. Those went up huge when Triple H took over. I texted you last Monday night that there was like only like one or two, um, you know, on the the post WrestleMania one. So there were a lot more on Friday on Friday and Monday. So it seems, yes, that is moving back in the right direction. The local medical facility thing did kind of stand out to me as well, but I was racking my brain and trying to remember, did WWE change that over the last nine months? Like was Triple H having them say hospital? 
And I don't recall. It just, local medical facility said in that way, like directly into the camera, did stand out to me as like, oh, that kind of sounds like Vince. But again, I don't know if they ever changed it. Do you have any recollection of that? I was trying to remember too, and I didn't, but the fact that they're saying it so many times seems new. Also, apologies if you hear some yelping in the background. Uh, We've had some newborn puppies the past few weeks. They have just now reached the annoying age. So uh, they'll hopefully be muted in the background. But if you hear a little bit of yelping while I'm talking, it's because the puppies have reached the teenager phase. Chris and his wife generally have give a thematic names to puppies that they adopt and, and, you know, try to not adopt. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, breed and then, and then adopt out, adopt out. But, um, I was looking for like rescue is really what I was talking about, but yeah, a breed and adopt out, whatever. Uh, so they've done parks and recreation so on and so forth. Chris, I haven't seen a wrestling group yet. Are we going to get that? So I was not around uh, this night that the puppies were born, and so I was not a part of this naming process. I'm very disappointed. These are named after spices, which I was very much down on. Yeah, I wanted mediocre. to go with like a super. I wanted to go with like a Super Mario theme this year. That would have uh, worked for this one. Yeah, yeah, disappointing one this year. I think we should do wrestling maybe around SummerSlam time. Let's let's think about that and come up with some. Uh, Unique names for some puppies. Lastly, uh, you mentioned cookout. Um, I want to hear your take on it. I just want to explain my situation. So uh, in Florida, to the best of my knowledge, there are no cookouts. And if there are, they're nowhere near me. Uh, So Augusta, Georgia, where I was for the entire week, they have a cookout. And there's also one just outside the town as well. So I was very excited. And I've known this for two years. I was like, I'm going to find a time to go to a cookout because I really, really want to try it. But the problem is, you know, when you're traveling, especially when it's for work, and you have a corporate card or per diem or whatever the case might be, and you have a chance to have a really nice dinner, you're not necessarily going to choose to go get fast food instead of that nice dinner. So I ha- I drove by cookout probably eight different times this week. And every single time I said, oh, I really want to go and try it. I really want to go and try it. And I still haven't. So now that you have, I'm curious your take. Terrific. I had a one really? other time before. I think it's based, I think it's based in North Carolina. Uh, I, cause I visited one when I went visit to Appalachian state one time, mm-hmm. this one was in Alabama, but, uh, it, it, it's great. You can get like a, a, a burger and fries and cheese curds and a milkshake for like eight bucks. That's what I got. The, the, the white cheddar cheese bites highly, highly recommend line was very long, understandably, okay. but if, if you have the opportunity to do it, this is kind of like last year, last year, I think you were going to stop at Bucky's. Uh, but didn't. No, I did. Well. No, I, I stopped at Bucky's last year. I stopped at Bucky's this oh, year. Did. Last year, I was going to stop at Culver's on the way up, which I did. And I oh. stopped at Culver's on the way up again this year. And let me tell you something. Those cheese curds at Culver's are real. I mean, those are effing delicious. Yep. I'm not a huge fan of the burger. I know people love the butter burger. It's like their signature thing. I don't know. It, it didn't really hit for me that much, but that was last year. This year, I had the spicy chicken sandwich. That was fantastic. So the curds, the spicy chicken, the fish looks great. I haven't like had the motivation to go get it because I only drive by it once a year, but I am a fan of Culver's, uh, the concretes or, or whatever you want to call them, the, the custard really solid. Mm-hmm. I don't think spectacular, but, but solid enough. So a fan of Culver's, you're a fan of cookout. Now I'm going to have to try cookout. Uh, and I'm very excited. I'm supposed to go to Orlando in the next couple of weeks. I've never had white castle. There is a White Castle in Orlando. It's been oh, open wow. for less than two years, and I'm very, very excited to eventually try White Castle, hopefully sooner than later. So um, that L- listen, listeners, someone send in a last word 
uh, request about fast food burgers. We'll get into we'll get into a deeper at some point if if someone yeah, I'll that, talk fast uh, food the, burgers, fries, you know, fa- favorite restaurants, building the perfect meal. There's a lot of different fast food talk we can do. And by the way, uh, I should just note since you mentioned the last word, we don't have a last word for today's show. Uh, didn't have a question that came in that I felt was like particularly appropriate for it. Plus, this is going to be a long episode as it is. The last word will return next week. Take that conversation we just had about cookout and Culver's, though. That is technically the last word for today, except it came first, Chris, before we do what we always do here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Wait, wait, wait before 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 we move on, I'm sorry, I need to jump in real quick. Okay. Two things I forgot to say for, for off news, one of the which was um, while I was in Birmingham, while I was leaving Birmingham in the airport, I saw Bobby Roode. Uh, oh, okay. Had spinal, he had yeah. spinal fusion surgery in Birmingham in December. He hasn't wrestled since the summer. I didn't talk to him, but he looked fine, looked good. Don't know when he's coming back. Imagine he was in town for a checkup or something like that. But uh, if you want to know where Bobby Roode was, he was in Birmingham. You Alabama, know what you could have done? Uh, you know what you could have done? Could have asked him. Yeah, well, he, he had his headphones on. He was talking on the phone. <laughs> oh, okay, and I didn't want fair enough. Fair enough. All fair that enough. kind of stuff. The, and the other one is. Uh, most importantly, the return of Sasha Banks. She's back. I, I don't know if you saw it last week on The Mandalorian. Koska uh, uh, Reeves. Is that the name? Koska Reeves. Yep. Koska. Yep. I was wondering if she'd be back on The Mandalorian. She was back. So Sasha Banks has returned. Everybody was wondering when she would come back. She has come back to Star Wars. Well, good for you. I'm glad that we took my fantastic transition that I had. It really was going well to get into our next segment and just kind of trash it so we could have a little Star Wars conversation here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But Chris, if there's nothing else coming from the peanut gallery over there, (laughs) allow me to finally bring us into the meat of today's show. You know it. You love it. We're going to start by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. All right. So two topics this week in the main event. We're going to talk A big announcement from Triple H, and then, of course, as always, the bloodline. So Triple H opened Hour 2 of SmackDown with a second planned address to the crowd in as many shows. He put over all the WrestleMania success again before saying it was time to look for the future. He did the Are You Ready shtick and announced the return of the WWE draft in a few weeks, saying it will be bigger than ever before because every single superstar will be available to be drafted. To me, he was referring to NXT when he said that. That's just what I took from it. Uh, he promised this year's draft would, quote, truly change the game and then introduced Rhea Ripley, the new SmackDown Women's Champion. And we'll talk about Ripley's segment uh, in the next segment of this show. Now, I'm always a sucker, Chris, for the WWE draft, even when it's done poorly. If Triple H is actually going to be the one handling it, then I have high hopes for the execution. It's going to be the first draft that WWE's done since October 2021, 18 months and counting. And it is long overdue, especially if they're going to solidify the brand split a little bit more. I don't necessarily mind how things have been handled recently, given there's two undisputed championships and WrestleMania season was coming up, all that type of stuff. But all in all, I did think it was a solid announcement. But again, I need to have more confidence in the creative, which should come over the next couple of weeks leading into Backlash before the draft so I can really get excited about it. Yes, it, it was a good announcement. Um, and it wasn't superstar shakeup. It was the draft, right. which uh, we hadn't had in a while. I didn't re- I'm looking through the draft history. I didn't realize we we'd had it every single year from 2016 to 2021. Mm-hmm. I just like, kind of 
came out of my mind. Post WrestleMania, like some of them, you know, 09, 10, 11, 17, 18, 19, they were in April. The others were in the, the 1920, 21. Those were in October. So they right changed it. Survivor Series. They changed that yeah, because of right, the TV contracts with Fox. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. And But doing it right before Survivor Series was always extremely weird. Oh, yeah. Always. Post, -wrestle, post WrestleMania is the exact right time to do it. Mm -hmm. So that is, uh, that is good timing as well. Good. It was an actual announcement and not just Triple H saying, we're here. We're not going anywhere cheer for the WWE brand because we, we sold the company or something right. weird thing he said last week. So uh, solid announcement. And it's also good because not that I need brand affiliations for like money in the bank and King of the ring, but if you want to have qualification matches for those big showcase bouts on those pay-per-views, premium live events, then you are putting together newly drafted raw superstars head to head, to earn the Raw spots and newly drafted SmackDown superstars together to earn the SmackDown spots, then they actually get to go head-to-head -head on those shows, which you normally wouldn't see because they're on different brands. And then by the time we get to Survivor Series, now who knows what Survivor Series is going to look like this year, if they're going to do war games, if they're not, if they will do it, but also a brand versus brand traditional match. But then they're going to have been on the rosters for however many months that is, six, seven months, and they're actually going to quote-unquote have pride, quote, you know, for their brand, or at least you can buy that they have pride for their brand because they will have been on that for multiple months as opposed to, like you mentioned, one or two months, right? So it makes all the sense in the world. Now, I watched SmackDown on DVR because I was out to dinner when it aired. And when I came back, the prevailing comment that I saw online from this announcement, the WWE draft announcement, was some variation of, What's the point of a WWE draft when there's no brand split and the wrestlers go wherever they want? And I was kind of dumbfounded by this take. Like, do people watch this freaking product before they complain? Like, yes, right now, there is a much softer brand split. But there's also two undisputed titles and the women's tag team title is multi-brand. So you have feuds that frequently need to continue across both shows, not counting like the go-home WrestleMania shows. It's not like Gunther, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, LA Knight, New Day are all showing up on Raw regularly or Alpha Academy, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, Seth Rollins, whoever else are regularly showing up on SmackDown. There is absolutely a brand split right now and there has been for a long time. But as I mentioned, they're six months overdue for a draft and I don't know what people want. WWE to like stick to a really strict brand split for the WrestleMania build and hurt their shows by not getting people in the big matches on both programs or perhaps relax it a bit within fair boundaries and then redraft it later. Like this is the shit that makes me hate the IWC when you can't see that clearly there's a brand split, but yes, it's been softer and there's reasons why it's been softer recently. Yeah. You were very fired up. About that. I was actually just about to make that point that it has been very much pulled back in the last few months. Part of that is because you have a dual brand uh, world champion, tag team champions, and uh, women's tag team champions. But you also have, you know, uh, Riddle popping up on SmackDown and, and Raw this time. So it, mm -hmm. it is, it, it did lose its definition to an extent. I started to forget. I don't know what what Sammy and Kevin Owens are on. I like I, I don't know. And so Kevin's on I, I, Kevin's on Raw. Ke Kevin's on Raw. Sammy's on SmackDown. I, you can I name me any. You can name me any wrestler, which, and I think I can tell you what brand they're on. Like, 
You're probably the only person who could. No, it's not that difficult. I'm just just saying that. I'm just saying that to say it is interesting to do it at this time when you still have unified champions across the board. If we're going to just make a single belt for those, or if they're going to be split up at some point, because if you are doing a draft and if you if they want to lean into the brand split, that would kind of be the time to do it. Is if you're going to define the brands, you got to define the titles as well. I do think there's a scenario where like Sammy and KO get drafted over to SmackDown and Adam Pierce walks up to them and says, hey, guys, now that you're on SmackDown, we're going to need to strip you of the Raw championships or, you know, merge these and create a new one for the Raw brand. I hope you understand. And their faces. So really, what are they going to say about it? That could happen. I don't see that happening with the world world title at all. That I don't either. I mean, I don't see Roman Reigns doing anything anytime soon. So that's why it's notable. Now we'll get back to this once we actually get a date for the draft, which they haven't given us. Triple H just said a few weeks. My presumption is it's going to start the first show after Backlash, which would be Raw on May 8th, possibly that ensuing Friday. Fox usually does like the draft to start on their show, but we can go over the draft like we normally do, plus who we would call up for NXT. We can do mock drafts. We'll do all of that coming up soon on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Chris, let's move to the second part of our main event, which is always encompassed by the bloodline. We'll start with SmackDown, then we'll go to Raw. Paul Heyman backstage on SmackDown. He snuck in a Passover reference while putting over the bloodline and Roman Reigns approaching a thousand days as champion. Jay Uso was in a good mood interrupting them, only to be upset that Jimmy was kept home to watch his brother, quote, succeed in solving the Sami Zayn problem, unquote, live on TV. Heyman then told Solo Sokoa that either Jay solves that problem, or Solo solves all of their problems before the night is out. Heyman was tremendous dropping that reference to Passover. I couldn't help but wonder why it's almost never considered in the storytelling aspect of this Bloodline stuff week to week that Sokoa is the Uso's brother. Like, it seemed kind of weird for Paul to suggest to him, hey, if your brother doesn't handle business, you're going to beat the shit out of him, okay? Like, also, Jay and Jimmy... Aren't just tag team partners, okay? They're twin brothers. So you're telling me Jay didn't know that Jimmy wasn't going to be at the show? At some point, Jimmy didn't text him like, "Yo, Tribal Chief said I got to stay home this week." Like, you know what I mean? Like, Jay should be coming up to the masking well, Heyman. Hey, OG, why Tribal Chief keep Jimmy home this week? I know that's maybe a nitpick, <laughs> but it would make so much more sense if they did it that way, as opposed to Jay being surprised that his brother's not there. I, I had the exact same reaction. Now, I know a few weeks back, Jimmy and Jay weren't on speaking terms, you know, after Elimination Chamber, but they had gotten over that. It was weird for Jay to find out that way. It jumped out to me, too. Okay, I'm just making sure I wasn't alone with that whole deal. Anyway, Heyman being the devil on Sokoa's shoulder, I thought that was a nice visual. Jay's continued storytelling through his expressions and body language. It's legitimately unmatched right now in wrestling. Tremendous stuff from that segment. So, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens were proud of their tag team titles backstage with KO telling Sami tonight's singles match was a great opportunity to settle the bloodline beef once and for good. And they basically said that every single week. Zayn said Owens is right, but something feels off and he almost feels an obligation to go talk to Jay before their match. KO said he knows he won't be able to talk Sami out of going talk to Jay, but it was still a bad idea and he shouldn't do it. Sami promised everything would be okay and KO countered, dude, You just said I was right, but you're going to do it anyway. And I just, it's great the way he's like the minister of logic in WWE. And I thought that Zane's insistence created a lot of intrigue for what might happen later in the show. Agree. And and again, every conversation between Sammy and Kevin Owens sounds like a real conversation. Like 
people that like people say that all the time. I know you're right, but I got to do this thing just because I got to do it. Like, and they express that's real life. That yeah, incredibly well. Yeah, exactly. Later backstage, Sammy found Jay and reminded him there's a way out of the bloodline. You just need to take it. He claimed everything that he has told Jay has come true, including them winning the titles, the bloodline crumbling, and everyone turning on Jay. Jay was listening and reacting, but mostly expressionless as Sammy spoke. And suddenly, a scream was heard off in the distance with Sokoa dumping an entire road case on Owen's knee. He sold the injury, screaming in pain, with Heyman lurking in the background and Jay walking over and kind of standing over him, surveying the entire situation. Before going to the ring, Sammy was pissed, saying KO was right, and he was ready to make Jay pay. What was great about this is it paid off both KO's concerns of Sammy reaching out to Jay. That decision left Kevin prone to Solo's attack, and Sammy's decision to talk to Jay appeared to possibly begin bearing fruit based on Jay's reaction to it, despite what actually went down. And the promo before the match was just kind of a nice cherry on top of the entire thing. Yep, very much liked it. We'll, we'll talk more about Solo here, but he's in such a fascinating role right now. And again, he's not saying a single word, but he is standing out just as much as all of the other three in this. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought it was really well done by everybody. So we had Sammy against Jay in the main event. Solo walked out shortly after the bell. Sammy had a superplex, but got super kicked as a counter to a flying nothing. Jay started talking shit in his face, so Sammy just took him down with an exploder and a blue thunderbomb. Uso was beating Zayn uh, on the ring apron. When he distracted the referee, that opened the door for Sokoa to hit the Samoan spike outside, with Jay adding an Irish whip dropkick for the win. Solo then stared at Jay and offered a hand, with Michael Cole actually acknowledging that they're brothers in this moment. Then Solo started beating Sammy's ass with Jay watching, but kind of slinking down in the corner. Seemed like he was depressed about it. When Solo went for a second Samoan spike, Jay grabbed his arm to call him off and instead super kicked Sammy in the head himself. He sent Solo to grab a chair when Matt Riddle made the save with Cole calling back to Riddle being taken out by Sokoa all those months ago. So there's a lot here. For a main event match, it was just okay. I actually thought it was going to be better. Sammy and Jay, two really good wrestlers, was just okay. It was clear to me they didn't want to give us too much on like a random SmackDown. The storytelling aspect of the entire deal, though, that worked. And it's tough to know whether Jay actually saved Sammy, but then when he was facing his brother, realized he had to do the super kick, or whether it was just an entire ruse from the very beginning. Finally, the riddle save was smart as a tag team title rematch for Backlash probably have been tough to stomach, especially with a second Usos loss. This way, they can run a six-man match with three over baby faces on the show. All in all, I thought it definitely worked, even if it wasn't the most exciting main event finish. When this popped up, you know, as a match coming later in the week and coming off of the terrible WrestleMania after Raw after WrestleMania, mm -hmm. I was like, oh God. We're going to ruin everything like right here. We're going to end Sammy and Jey Uso right now on SmackDown. Right. And that's going to be the end of this. I like, I was very worried that Vince was moving us past this, mm -hmm. but the way SmackDown started to play out, it was clear that that was not going to be the case. And then you get the match and you're right. It was fine. It felt like it could be more, but it was also just a random SmackDown. So maybe like it doesn't have to be more. The Samoan spike is such an like old school 
kind of corny wrestling move and i love it so much for that Mm -hmm. like they have really just emphasized how devastating of a move this is and debilitating it is to to various wrestlers i mean he was just involved in the wrestlemania main event like solo sagoa again he's not even a year on the main roster and he's interfering in the main event at wrestlemania he's getting main event matches on raw this dude is just like low-key killing it and i love it because he stands out by being different than everybody else in the bloodline and the, the riddle return uh i love the commentary like you said made the comment that solo is the reason riddle was out i had completely forgotten the last time we saw riddle and what had happened so i very much appreciated that and good to see it, it was very very solid when this when this show ended i was like all right things are back in the right direction after a terrible raw so i i, I generally liked it that's a good way to describe it i was content smackdown ended and i go that was an enjoyable show i'm glad i watched it i feel better than i did you know yes four days ago so over on raw uh Heyman backstage answered yes that he had insight into brock lesnar's turn last week but he refused to share it he mentioned Sami Zayn and matt riddle were absent due to flight delays quote unquote suggesting they didn't appear because they were actually scared and left owens to fend for himself paul did what I can only describe as hysterical impressions of both of them. In fact, I just got to play it. Hold on. Flight delays my toughest. You know what happened? Sami Zayn and Matt Riddle were in an airport. And they looked up and they said, bro, what are we doing tonight on Raw? And the other one goes, um, 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 Solo's looking for us. <laughs> uh, it was a really... We need, we need to, no, we need to cut that. We need to cut Paul Heyman as Matt Riddle saying, bro, what's happening on Raw? For like okay. any time we didn't like an episode. I'll trim that. that. I can probably trim that down. Yeah, that's good. Um, it was a strong promo overall, but man, he had me laughing right there. That was so funny. Very good stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, the first match on the show, again, Raw was disjointed because a lot of people weren't there. So some matches kind of just happened. Uh, we had the Usos against Alpha Academy. The crowd popped big for the Otis hot tag. There was also a moment where Otis was like shaking with Jay uh, having his arms around him. And Otis shook so much, the camera caught Jay, like, losing his mind in laughter <laughs> to the point, like, he put his face into Otis's back to hide the smile on his face. Yeah. It was so freaking funny. Um, but Otis hit two world strongest slams, one catching Jim, Jimmy uh, midair. Rather than stay aggressive, though, Otis, like, paraded around, hit the caterpillar with Chad Gable adding an assisted flying bulldog. It took both Usos to eliminate Otis with a double super kick over the announce table. Gable, though, caught them with a flying moonsault outside and a flying headbutt on Jay for a really good near fall. Jimmy then countered an ankle lock, and Jay saved him from the rolling German suplex, both of them moving into 1D to get the win over Gable. This is one of those matches that, you know, might have been six or seven minutes on a normal show, but given more time due to the shorter roster, these four guys made the most of it and freaking delivered. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a banger per se, but it was a damn fine TV match. The crowd got more hype for this than anything else in the first two hours of Raw, and it was another standout effort from Gable, whose stock continues to rise, and it just seems clear they have a plan earmarked for him sooner than later. I went 3.25 stars and a B. You guys know I don't normally grade TV matches. A little less comedy. I probably would have been higher on it, but this was a lot of fun. I was going to make that same point. They, the fact that they got a lot of time 
made everything feel more important. And because because it's the Usos, because they were just the record-long tag team champs, you put a team like that in a long match on TV, everybody gets over. Yes. The crowd is going to pay more. The crowd is going to pay more attention because they know it matters. And you're right. This is the loudest the crowd got. We don't really need to get into it, but I thought that's, yeah, unless the arena was mic'd strangely. it was bad. That crowd was terrible, terrible for some reason. Seattle is usually great. That's why I was surprised. But it, it stood out here. Otis and I was just like, man, Otis and Gable are killing it here. Mm-hmm. Man, I, th- I, these guys are a great tag team. Oh, yeah, they used to be tag team champs. Like, they've been together for a while, and they still feel fresh and new. And just, it's a great dynamic between them. They put on a great match. They lost, you know, clean. But that's a match where you're like, oh, man, I remember now why the Alpha Academy is so great and that these guys are, are, are awesome. I don't always like long TV matches. But tag matches are usually fine, and especially teams like this where you've got different people who provide different things. So, like, everybody kind of brings something different to the match. I love this. This is the perfect example, though, of, like, when I talk about on this podcast all the time, let good wrestlers wrestle, and they will get over. Chad Gable is getting babyface pops here, and he's really done nothing to be pushed into that babyface role, except guess what? Wrestle his freaking ass off over the last month on television. And people do a love deadlift, it. a deadlift suplex of, of Braun Strowman. That yes. Gets a huge reaction. Yes. Like that's, that's the kind of thing that gets Chad Gable over. This is how you get over and it's freaking working. So, I mean, I hope they, you know, keep this going and, and they keep pushing them. I don't know if the sound drop's appropriate. I forgot what it is. He got over. He, okay. Appropriate. He got over there. Right. <laughs> uh, so I, I really forgot what that was. I don't even fully remember what it's from, um, but it, it full, you know, it's working right now with Gable. And I didn't think I'd be talking ever about maximum male models here in the main event segment of a WWE episode, Chris. But clearly this storyline is going on with Otis. And I think the general sentiment, what we all expect to happen, is they steal Otis away from Gable. Gable is the baby face kind of left out of it. And Otis kind of looks maybe like the bad guy who left his friend for the models. And Gable goes on a baby face run, maybe wins King of the Ring and, and gets a little bit of a push. But coming out of this match... I I really hope that like the male models are somehow made to really come across as heels and Otis ultimately turns them down and stays with Gable and they get a big baby face pop for staying together. Otis is over. Uh, Gable can still do his single stuff while being in Alpha Academy. I don't want them to break up. I want this team to continue. I think they're doing a great job. I just want Gable to get those moments for himself as well. And I like that the maximum male model stuff didn't just happen and then Otis was done. Right. Like it actually is some not long term, but like there is storytelling to this. It's not just all oh, the models came in and they stole him away and that was it. It was he almost went, but then he said, nah, I'm sticking with my guy. But the models are well, still so pursuing far, him. So yeah, like, they're pursuing yeah, him. Yeah. Right. So so like it, it's kind of going back and forth and it's entertaining every time. It's like you're building that connection. So if and when Otis leaves Gable will feel bad. And so I, I think that that's, they've 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 handled this with the proper pacing. It was weird to introduce this right before WrestleMania mm-hmm. when you knew it wasn't going to be on WrestleMania, but that's added to it. It feels like there is a plan here with this story, and that makes me invest in it. And then wrapping up the main event, we had Owens against Sokoa to conclude Raw. Uh, before the match, KO explained his lack of, I guess, selling the SmackDown attack by saying he's putting his heart in front of his head 
And while he may be making a dumb decision, like his shirt says, he's going to, quote, just keep fighting. Solo immediately went after the injured leg in the match, which came into play later when KO stopped short trying to run for his cannonball, completely selling the knee. Owens did connect on a frog splash and tossed Sokoa off the top rope. The Usos distracted, but KO still hit a swanton bomb, followed by a pop-up powerbomb that Soa, uh, Sokoa, I should say, didn't really sell like he should have. Needs to work on that. Uh, the Usos distracted again as KO ate super kicks from Jay and Solo plus the Samoan spike for the 1-2-3 as he lost the numbers game. In the last two minutes of Raw, it looked like KO was going to get attacked. Sami Zayn and Matt Riddle were shown sprinting through the loading dock into the arena, having just arrived, presumably from the airport. They took out the Usos and dominated Solo, with KO stunning Jimmy and Solo barely saving Jay from a haluva kick to end the show with Sokoa absolutely furious. Now, cheating or not, big win for Sokoa and great selling all match by Owens. Even with the booking thrown together, the purposeful concentration on selling the knee coming out of the SmackDown where it appeared the planned storyline was for him to be unable to wrestle for a couple of weeks at a minimum. Owens at least selling the knee and showing that and then just miraculously heal in three days from this really bad attack. That was great. And the final moments put the main event segment, I thought, over the top. I do wonder how late Zayn and Riddle actually arrived. But all in all, we got a fun match. <laughs> Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> <laughs> and a hot finish that all made sense together. And really, you can't ask for much more than that. Yep. I love tying in kind of the real situation with the storyline. Like, oh, some people aren't here, you know, and then they show up late and then they run it like that, as opposed to someone disappearing at the beginning of the show and driving the ambulance back or whatever right. like we've seen before. That was kind of a fun way to do it. Literally right before they came back, right when the beatdown started, I texted my brother. I was like, did they say, did, did Sami Zayn miss because of flight? Did I miss it? I wasn't sure. And then then they come running in right at that moment. So yeah. I, I, I thought that was great. Loved everything, everything about it. I, we'll probably get into this more in future weeks as he makes his kind of return. Mm -hmm. But Rid Riddle being back, I'm kind of curious how it goes. I'm not the biggest guy on him. I know you've been a big fan for a while. Mm -hmm. Throwing him into the Sammy KO stuff is probably a good idea, a good way to ease him back in with some really over people. Riddle has always thrived in those situations more than on his own. So I think he's back in a good spot. Um, but in general, what, how do you feel about Riddle being back? Well, let me first say the most obvious out of both shows indication for me, and, and I should note before I say this, Vince McMahon seemingly loved Riddle. I mean, he he focused him in RK mm -hmm. Bro and pushed him hard and all that. But the most obvious change from Raw to SmackDown and then Raw following up as well was Riddle going from a feud with The Miz, just because he was returning and everyone who returns fights The Miz, to immediately getting re-injected on SmackDown and then Raw into the Bloodline feud where he needed to be because that's, again, how he was written off. So that was... Yes. One of the most positive developments, I thought, coming from the Raw after WrestleMania into this. In terms of Riddle, big fan. Um, I think the, you know, he did leave a little bit for injury. He also had um, a suspension and things going on with, you know, usage of materials that are not allowed uh, in WWE that are not marijuana, we should clarify. And there was some stuff that happened while he was gone too, uh, more personal that, made, I don't want to say headlines, but made waves in the IWC. Um, if he can keep his nose clean, then I'm, I think his ceiling is the roof. I mean, it's, he 
he can do it all. I, there was a time where I thought he was going to be either WWE or Universal Champion at some point. And I do think he can work his way back to that. But, you know, right now, the trustworthy factor is an issue. So he's going to need to kind of reset a little bit, go another year, work, prove there's no problems. And if that happens, maybe he does get put back into one of those situations. But he's good on the mic. He can work babyface and heel. He's really talented in the ring. The crowd loves him and the crowd would love to hate him if given the opportunity. The question is, again, can he keep his nose clean and have Triple H and everyone else in creative start believing in him again and trusting him again? If he can, then I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, but time is kind of running out. He is getting a little bit older. Uh, the gimmick, you know, without Randy, the ceiling of, of the happy-go-lucky stoner babyface is, it has its own ceiling, which is lower than the roof. Let me let me put it that way. Also, uh, the new gear and look that he debuted upon returning is yeah. awful. Uh, he's wearing a yeah. Speedo now instead of shorts. And he's also not wearing, because he doesn't wear shoes or, or anything on his feet, um, he stopped stopped wearing knee pads as well. So he t- the only parts of his body that were covered, like the knees and like his thighs, are now not covered. And it's basically a Speedo and nothing else. So he looks like he's going swimming out there when he runs into the ring. And it yeah. looks bad. It does. So that needs to get fixed as well. Yeah, that was my last comment was uh, the Speedo look on uh, was uh, revealing. And I think he needs to go back to the to the shorts. Go to the, sh- the shorts look good. The, the shorts were a differentiator for him. You know what I mean? They did. But they you were. can't wear the Speedo with no knee pads and no shoes. It just doesn't work. Historically, we know this, you know. All right, Chris, we got plenty left to talk about from SmackDown and Raw this week in the world of WWE. And we're going to do it by moving to the good the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, let's kick things off with Cody Rhodes, who opened his promo in the ring by admitting defeat at WrestleMania, calling it one of the most polarizing moments in WWE history, alluding to the booking decision rather than the kayfabe. Uh, Cody said the blame only belonged on his shoulders for losing. He apologized. He said winning is what's most important and related that he was bothered at Heyman's suggestion. He needed to earn another title shot. He had a really good line, earn it, I am it. I am it. He mentioned the rubber chicken in the ring after Mania saying, even tougher than the loss, was coming to work Monday and getting destroyed by Brock Lesnar. Cody wondered why Brock did it, relating what commentary has said over the last two shows. Lesnar was upset at his spot opening WrestleMania. Rhodes then suggested Lesnar did it because he was uncertain about his role in WWE if Cody was to be on top. But Cody said Brock's a predator and he sees people like The Rock, John Cena, UFC stars, and The Undertaker as victims. Cody admitted that anyone would be crazy not to be scared of Brock, but said he still wants to fight him. Rhodes said he wanted to make Lesnar the victim and the prey for a change, and he would do the match whenever Brock is ready. Then he made an official challenge for Backlash, which he did call WrestleMania Backlash, even though it's not, and I checked the website and I checked Twitter, it's not being promoted that way. Okay, so this, Chris, was a good promo from Cody, as most promos from Cody end up being. Solid lines, solid storytelling from his perspective, as usual. But all that actually matters in this entire feud is the why. 
and the why either being Lesnar angry about his spot on the mania card or lacking confidence about his spot in WWE with Rhodes gaining prominence. When again, you just got finished telling me the guy's a predator. Either of those explanations would be absolute dog shit straight up. So I remain unconvinced by this feud and unless or until we get an actual reason from Brock, I can't find a reason to actually care about it. It just feels lazy. Now, Lesnar is advertised for Raw next week. And if we find out a reason and it's not because I opened WrestleMania first, then perhaps I will change my tune. So I am not loving the storyline, but I am giving the segment a good because Cody was good. Yeah, this was certainly good. Cody, it was a good reminder that Cody can talk anybody into the building. And even moving on from the Roman thing for now, which we have no idea what next for Roman or anything. Um, it was a reminder, all right, Cody can can do all of this. Because remember, we've only seen Cody since he came back feuding with Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. That's it. Like he 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 did the Seth thing, then he was out, then he went come back, wins the rumble, and he's in the title picture. So like how does he do in these different situations? I thought he did a really, really good job in this promo. But you're right, I I can't really speak more to it other than we need Brock's actual explanation. It's weird for the follow-up to be Cody guessing what the explanation is, you know? Like, so we, we don't really, I, we, we don't know yet. We'll find out next week. I, I, I liked that Cody said, uh, it's not about stealing the show if you don't win. Really, really liked hearing that. Uh, a wrestler who wants to win the matches saying prize fighter and all this stuff. That's good. That, that came back when Triple H took over a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was positive. He said he talked to his friend, Matt, I, I don't. I didn't catch if you said this in the reaction or not, uh, the the recap or not. But uh, it looked like that was Matt Cardona who tweeted something. Yeah, it was Matt. Raw. Yeah, Cardona. Yeah, yeah. And it was either him or Jackson, and he wasn't. Was, I can promise you, he wasn't referencing Matt Jackson. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, Cardona tweeted. He said like "Hi, Cody" or something like that. And 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 lastly, Cody comes out holding his right arm, like he's injured. He doesn't do the whoa thing. Mm-hmm. But then for the entire promo. He held the mic with his right arm. Right, which he wouldn't do. Because the left arm the left arm is the one doing the motions that you kind of got to do when you do wrestling stuff. So it was like a little thing, probably very nitpicky, but I just, I had it in my notes. No, I think that's fair. That's a really good point. I missed that. All right, we'll move on. Uh, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez fought the Ballsy Baddies on SmackDown. Natalia and Shotzi announced their tag team name in a backstage promo. The baddies went for a modified heart attack, but Rodriguez bounced Natalia and Morgan hit a tornado DDT plus oblivion on Shotzi for the win. It's unfortunate this match was short because I was happy they were establishing another team and the action was solid throughout. Again, Chris, I've been saying this. You pair up the women with reasoning, then allow them to compete both as singles and as teams when necessary. Marginal good because it certainly wasn't bad, but it was also kind of unnecessary given the faces were already number one contenders. This felt like a very AEW match where someone's a number one contender and on the show before they challenge for the title, you're giving them a win just because you want people to remember that they're good. It's like, where do you know they're good? They became number one contenders last week. Uh, yes. And I, I'm, I'm going to save this for the raw part of the reaction. I'm, I'm giving this a light good, but I liked that Shotzi and Natalia gave themselves a name. Like if you're going to be a tag team, have a name. And so the fact that the team that got the name immediately lost was kind of frustrating when they lost to a team that does not have a name. 
And uh, so that's my only other thought on that. Yeah, I mean, look, there's plenty of teams who have been champions without names, but I, I, I agree with you. I'm part of like the wrestling fandom or the old school wrestling fan who, when you put two singles wrestlers together and they're going to be a team for a period of time, give them a name. Like the, there's a difference between Randy Orton and Matt Riddle against the Usos and RK Bro against the Usos. And yep. There's a difference when they have gear that doesn't have to be the same gear, but there's elements of it that match. The color scheme is the same or an element of the gear, a logo is the same. It matters. And uh, tag team finishers, signature moves. That's why I'm such a big fan of uh, Caden Carter and Katana Chance down in NXT, the women's tag team, because they're not just a team. They don't, they actually don't even have a name, believe it or not. Um, but they're not just a team. They have an entire move set. They probably have 12 to 15 tag team moves that they do. They're a real tag team. So that's what I want to see WWE do with the women's division. And I should note ballsy baddies. Great. I'm glad they're together, but the Natalia Shotzi team, it has never for a second made sense. When Tegan Knox is on that brand, Shotzi and Tegan were a team on SmackDown before they got released. Mm-hmm. They could have just rekindled that. They make a lot more sense together. Or you could even have done Shotzi and Liv Morgan because Liv Morgan is doing the daredevil shtick and Shotzi legitimately is a daredevil. That could have worked. Now, Liv and Raquel are fine. They're actually a really good team. They work well together. They're over. Mm-hmm. And Raquel is getting babyface rubbed from Liv, which is even more reason for them to be a team. So there's no issue with them together. It's just you have all these women on SmackDown and there were so many teams that made sense, but none of those teams were actually put together with the exception of Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. So I just think that's funny that like they decided to come up with tag teams and they're actually doing it positives, but they didn't necessarily pick the yes. partners that made the most sense. That's all. Yes. I, I yes, it is a positive that they're putting tag teams together. We love that Carmella, uh, Chelsea Green, if that gets back together, we'll love that. Yeah. Ra- Raquel, Raquel and Liv, are wearing similar matching gear. I I, I love that, mm-hmm. but they are not. It, it, this goes into the raw match. They don't have a name, and we had a tag women's tag team match with four different entrances: uh, Trish and, and and Becky and Raquel and Liv, mm-hmm. all getting different, all getting separate entrances. When you're a tag team, you have to come out together. I hate 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 tag teams of singles wrestlers who come out on their own, yep. unless they hate each other and they have to coexist, they should come out together. It, it, either it's one person song or you mix the songs like they did with RK bro. Like they did with Cody Rhodes and Goldust back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to be a tag team, like really lean into everything that is being a tag team. Especially if you're going to be the champions and a tag team for a long period of time. It's one thing if it's short one, two, one or two months, you have them come out to one person's theme, whatever the case might be. But if you're, creating a long-term tag team, then you need to put the effort into making them a team. And yes, you're a thousand percent right about that. All right, let's move from SmackDown over to Raw with the storyline. So early on Raw, Lita was found on the floor holding her head with Liv and Raquel screaming for help from Adam Pearce. He ran over with Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus following, and Becky immediately suggesting it was convenient that their title challengers found Lita like that. That was more like just a chaotic moment, not her working heel and blaming them. Becky was later visibly frustrated, saying Lita was at the hospital, excuse me, local medical facility, as you pointed out, (laughs) and she had her suspicions on who attacked her. She also promised that she would deliver the title match for the fans, and Stratus stepped into the frame to take the spot. So we got the match, Women's Tag Team Championships, Lynch and Stratus 
against Morgan and Rodriguez. Trish did a handstand hurricanrana on Liv with Becky hitting a flying leg drop. Raquel then hit her signatures on Becky, who slipped on a missile dropkick. The champions tried a double superplex, but Lynch got thrown off and Stratus countered a powerbomb into a hurricanrana. Trish helped hold Raquel for a draping flying leg drop from Becky. Then the challengers hit an assisted tornado DDT. Rodriguez based a super duperplex out of the corner. Next was a really sloppy move out of the corner that I think was supposed to be diamond dust on Raquel into a scent on or a splash of some kind on Liv. Becky got booted to break up disarm her. Trish then hit Raquel with stratisfaction. Liv caught Becky with a code breaker, but when she tried oblivion, uh, Becky rolled it through into the manhandle slam for a broken fall. Trish tagged in, but missed a chick kick with Liv rolling her up tight for the one, two, three, and the title change in 15 minutes. Stratus was angry on the canvas after the bell. Lynch lifted her up and raised her arm. Then they jawed a little bit back and forth. Becky hugged her, but Trish attacked Becky from behind as she went to leave the ring and then connected with a chick kick that Lynch sold like absolute death right in the middle of the ring. Then Trish said something after the bell. The mics, I think, were supposed to catch it, but they did not, so I have no idea what she said. And then later backstage, Stratus refused to answer questions about the attack. Okay, a lot here. Let's start with the positives. The backstage segment was intriguing. Parts of the match were good. Trish putting over Liv in a title win was fantastic. Real G move by her. Appreciate that. 15 minutes was an appropriate and respectful match time, especially for a title change. And the heel turn was really well done with an incredible sell from Becky and plenty of questions leading us into next week's show. Plus, Trish is way, way better as a heel than a face and always has been. She's likely the perpetrator of the attack. And it's really rare to see a woman return to WWE and get put in a heel role like that. So I loved all of those things. But there were negatives. Most of the match was uncharacteristically sloppy, like shockingly so, a total lack of cohesion. And it wasn't just Trish. It was like the active women as well. And most of all, the crowd was legitimately awful. It ruined this match. They could not be bothered to get up and cheer for the top woman in the company, Becky Lynch, a legend in Trish Stratus who can still go and was giving them a match on television, and a fan favorite ultra white meat babyface in Liv Morgan who gets major pops basically everywhere she goes. There was a light at one point, this is awesome chant. That was after 13 minutes of dead silence in the match. If the match is awesome, why haven't you been cheering for 13 minutes? The title change got a half decent pop. Trish's turn got a bit of heat. That quickly died down too. Seattle is usually a really strong crowd, but I could not explain this. You mentioned that earlier. Maybe it's a symptom of the poor women's booking of late, but even major stars can overcome bad booking and Becky, Trish, and Liv in one match, a title match, working well together with a title change should have sent the crowd cheering throughout the entire match. I'm giving it a good for all of the reasons I already mentioned, but holy shit was I disappointed in the fans and it was kind of a forgettable title win that should have mattered even more for Liv, but was a bit overshadowed by the post-match heel turn. Yes, I am giving this a good. I do think the fact that the title change came on basically kind of a roll-up impacted it. I don't think any anybody really expected it to happen that way. Usually you're conditioned in a WWE match 
oh, big finisher, crowd rises Right, it up, builds and builds. One, two, three. Two. Yeah. It kind, it kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, so it was a, a, a bit kind of shocking in that sense. Trish, like, Trish looked awesome. Like, they're not, they're not five-star wrestlers. Like, that's fine. But Lita coming back and being in this team was interesting. And I think it was a reminder that Trish has kind of always been a better wrestler than her. Uh, Lita does the, the you know the moonsault and some really cool high flying stuff, but just bell to bell, Trish was always kind of just better at that. So then getting mm-hmm. Trish in this match, I made it better than it would have otherwise. And the turn at the end was interesting. I, we didn't get the explanation, and that's fine. We'll, we'll get it. But I saw some people wondering, like, did Trish take a dive, you know, on, on purpose or not? I I don't think it was that. No. But it is interesting to turn if she attacked Lita, you know, to go through the match, then maybe that's why it was a roll up type of finish. Maybe, maybe she did lose on purpose. I don't know. So there is kind of some intrigue here that sets up Becky with Trish, maybe at SummerSlam or something or, or backlash or Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia or something before then. But um, it means Trish is going to be around more. And that's awesome. Cause she's been doing a really good job since she came back and she's got me saying, Hey now. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that, in our uh, interview, when I spoke to her uh, a couple weeks ago, she kind of indicated that she was only coming back to WWE because she really, really liked the creative and the plan that they had for her. So it does seem like there was more that she would be doing after WrestleMania, like when we had that conversation. And this certainly paid that off. And yes, as you said, look good, but she's got me saying, Hey, now. now to the idea that like, she attacked Lita and then purposely cost them the titles. No, that, that doesn't make any sense. I think the storyline is she attacked Lita to basically become co-champion with Becky that she was jealous that Lita returned and got a title match and she didn't. So then that happened. Mm-hmm. Then she lost the title and Becky's there consoling her, telling her it's okay, even though they just lost championships. And Trish is like, you know, Trish, is, who's already a bad person from attacking Lita, is like, what is this shit? How can she be okay with losing the title, blah, 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 attacks her. And that's the storyline that we're now going to get going forward. To me, that makes all the sense in the world. You know, they just need to actually execute it. But you're right. Trish being here and doing a long program that we thought might just end at WrestleMania, but is now clearly going to at least backlash, if not maybe SummerSlam. That's really exciting. She can still go in the ring. Like it's, it's really impressive the way she's able to work. Mm-hmm. Is she you know, going to wrestle as well as Bailey or Becky or Bianca Belair or Rhea Ripley? No, but she's much older than they are and hasn't been an active superstar. I can tell you this, and this is no offense to Lita, she is 10 times the worker that Lita is right now in terms of ability to go in the ring. Yep, no, I agree. And that's why it's interesting um, that she'll be back. And you're right. The fact that she was the one who got pinned and then turned on Becky is like interesting too. Like we don't normally get that. Normally mm-hmm. you turn on someone cause they lost a match and you're mad at them. And Absolutely. Classic, yada, yada. So maybe, so maybe there's something a little bit more uh, in that. Maybe it is just jealousy. And then that jealousy boiled over when she took the pin. Well, like, you know, she wasn't there. Becky wasn't there to save her and she, therefore she lost the title. And then it gets revealed that she attacked Lita. Now Becky has two reasons to hate her. Like it's, it's very easy. Right. And again, I'll point out once more, Becky's sell of the chick kick was phenomenal. All right. Uh, Dakota Kai backstage, uh, paced outside Adam Pierce's office, worried about why Bailey was in there for so long. EO Sky, meanwhile, stood there just kind of stoic like the badass that she is. Bailey exited the office to inform them 
that while she couldn't get them another tag team title match, she told Pierce they had to stay together in the WWE draft, and he offered her, Bailey a triple threat number one contendership match with a winner facing Bianca Belair for the title. Dakota and Io put their heads down, really disappointed to hear that. And then they verbally got angry. Io was the first one to kind of express that, that Bailey was getting another singles title shot while they got nothing. So Bailey begrudgingly went back into the office to see if Pierce would change it. Now, Chris, this is the type of women's storytelling that we have been waiting to get for months. And it's clearly the beginning of the end for damage control, which is necessary, as we discussed, once they lost coming out of Mania. Now, while about the beginning of the end, but yes, yes. <laughs> the beginning of the end, yeah. While this would be disappointing for an established women's team to get broken up, we talk about it all the time. WWE makes teams and they break them up. In this case, based on the way they've been booked, a breakup does need to happen. Yes, I, I would say I don't think it's the beginning of the end. I think the beginning of the end came a while ago and, and sure. we're nearing the end. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, that made sense. Like, Bailey popping up also, by the way, like a tepid reaction from the crowd. I was expecting more kind of given all the internet rumblings of whether or not Bailey wanted out or something like that. I, I never believed it, but no, it was, it was all bullshit. Out there. That was all bullshit. And, 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 um, and they were right. Like, Hey, why does Bailey get another shot when you keep losing? I mean, Bailey's a multi-time world champion and everything. So I, like, I kind of get it, but, but she's it lost like three upset. of these already. Yeah. Yeah. So it, like, it totally makes sense. Um, so that was, yeah, I, I liked it. Also, I just, I had to say it because it was in my notes and I couldn't help but think of Seinfeld. It looked like Dakota Kai was wearing a bra as a top. Just <laughs> saying it, it was just not- noticeable. I couldn't help but thinking of Seinfeld when I saw that. Um, what's, oh man, it's, what's her freaking name? Um, the o, is that the O'Henry? Was that the O'Henry? No, yeah, uh, Sue Ellen, Mish- Ellen Mischke. Sue Ellen Mischke. Yeah, Sue Ellen yeah. Mischke, yeah, yeah. 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 I had to get that out or it was going to would have bothered me the rest of the entire show. Uh, but what you're saying to wrap this up is it was logical. And that's all we want out of wrestling storytelling. Logic. That's what we got here. So we had the number one contendership. EO in for Bailey against Piper Niven and me Chim. Dakota was naturally smiling while Bailey looked annoyed as they all entered together to EO's music. And again, EO basically took the spot that Bailey had accepted for herself. EO hit a great springboard moonsault. Piper hit a double running crossbody. EO then leapfrogged Niven for a hurricanrana on Mi Chin. Bailey finally started to cheer for her after that move. EO then hit a springboard missile dropkick, but Piper caught her for a Uranagi. Mi Chin hit a code red and eat defeat on Piper, but EO broke the fall with her over the moonsault and pinned Mi Chin for the win in eight minutes. And Bailey looked like a mix of proud, but also bothered at the outcome of the entire thing. Now, there were some really nice sequences in this match. Most of them meant to legitimize EO for a title match, likely at Backlash, and it worked. On a show with so much time, this only getting eight minutes with three of them during commercial break was disappointing to me, but action that we got, the five minutes, was full of action going back and forth. The booking of damage control was good. And the match was good too. Piper and Meechin, they showed out in their spots and EO getting this featured opportunity is huge. And again, I cannot stress this enough. She is one of the best women's wrestlers in the entire world. It is time for her to show it and for WWE fans to see it. And I hope what we get with Bianca Belair, they fought before on Raw a few months ago and it was really good. 
I hope they get time to really, really deliver when they go head to head for the title. Yes. Gladio's guy's getting the spot to really show out. We haven't just haven't got that since she came up at SummerSlam last year. So step forward. I like the the, the reaction for Bailey. I'm curious, do we think Bailey's gonna as they break up, do we think Bailey's the heel? And maybe EO and maybe Dakota are the faces? Yes. Or does Bailey go back to being a face? I think it's Bailey seeing damage control as there to enhance her career, just as, you know, she could claim all yeah. she wants that she was there to support them, but she's there to support them as a tag team. She hasn't been there to support them yeah, as, in, I, as, as individuals. She saw herself right. as the individual. So I think what's going to happen yeah. at Backlash, and, you know, I think I even had a note about this later, but I think what happens is she either purposely costs Io the title or more likely accidentally tries to help her, but does it half-assed and costs Io the title. And that sows the division and damage control and they break up. Yeah, I mean, I could see it going either way. I mean, but but um, Bailey has not been a face since pre-pandemic, I think. So it's it's really been a while. But uh, it's, it's a step forward for everybody. We need a damage control to either break up or do something else. And maybe it's both here. So good stuff. At a minimum, the internal dynamics of them is far more interesting than it's ever been. So that's a huge positive. I do want to pause here from the good, the bad, and the ugly for a moment. Because we've spent a lot of time criticizing Triple H's booking of the women's division over the last few months. And that criticism has been deserved. I'm not changing my tune, trust me. Mm -hmm. But what needs to be known is a lot of plans have changed over the last few months. And this is what I've been told from two different sources that have given us like nuggets that we've already shared on the podcast. But now we've kind of been able to put them together following Monday's developments. Now, this whole thing started with Ronda Rousey deciding that she wanted to team with Shayna Baszler, thus dropping the SmackDown Women's Championship to a returning Charlotte Flair. Then the plan was Rousey and Baszler to win the women's tag team titles at WrestleMania. But Rousey got hurt, and her ability to get cleared for Mania was completely up in the air. Hence, the women's showcase match to get them on the card. Of course, during that match, Baszler got hurt, which is why Liv and Raquel are now champions. On the Raw side, Trish was supposed to have turned heel months ago. The WrestleMania match was planned, and we talked about this on the show, Becky and Lita against Bailey and Trish with Rousey and Baszler against Damage Control for the titles. So there were going to be two women's single title matches on the show, a women's tag team title match, and a featured legend women's match with the four I just mentioned. Dakota and Io would have theoretically worked as faces against Rousey and Baszler. Now, I'm not sure if they would have already split from Bailey, you know, or waited until after dropping the titles. I'm not sure, but that again was the plan. Now, the reason why Becky and Lita won the titles was to create the scenario that we got Monday night for Trish to turn heel because they needed to find another way for her to turn given they weren't able to do what they planned previously. Um, so what they did was she takes Lita's place, she got defeated, then she got angry about it. Now, I believe the plan was for Monday's storyline to happen with Rousey and Baszler on the Raw after WrestleMania. But with Baszler hurt, they set up the number one contendership for the women's tag team titles and strapped up Liv and Raquel. If you remember, there were reports that last week there were going to be two triple threat singles matches to determine number one contenderships. Those got canceled. The reason those got canceled was because they needed Dakota and Io for the tag team match 
to put over Liv and Raquel as the most recent former champions who are available, one of very few legitimate tag teams that they could put in a number one contendership type of match. Once that was accomplished, last week's storyline was reset to this week with EO winning the triple threat. Now, the next steps are obvious. Bailey either accidentally or purposely costing EO at backlash, leading to a damage control breakup. Rousey and Baszler eventually beating Liv and Raquel for the women's tag team titles once they're both 100% healthy. Rodriguez probably will then go to either challenge Ripley at a major show, SummerSlam, or King and Queen of the Ring, something like that. She could perhaps even earn that spot by winning Queen of the Ring and then challenging her at SummerSlam, but that's just me speculating. The point here, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that led to the booking problems for the women's division. Now, none of that explains the half-assed booking and storytelling for the singles matches. Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair against Asuka. There is no excusing any of that. But in terms of all of this and why some of this happened the way it did and why it was confusing and didn't make a lot of sense, that is what happened in the background. We have a lot of show left, Chris, but I did want to see if you had any takes or thoughts based on what I just explained. I do not like spoilers but I am perfectly fine with looking back and see how things were supposed to be mm-hmm. and how they played out. So th- that all makes sense. It's all kind of what we suspected along the way. Um, I have no real issues with it. And frankly, after coming out of mania and here, I'm perfectly fine with everything outside of the women's singles pictures, which had nothing to do with most of this. So I, th- I th- actually think that's all in a fine place. It's the Bianca Rhea stuff we kind of need to get better at. Indeed, 1,000%. Speaking of, let's talk about it. Ripley entered uh, on SmackDown with Judgment Day after Triple H's introduction where he announced the WWE draft and all that stuff. Ripley put over her championship win while Finn Balor called Edge sick for gashing his head open just to win a match, saying Edge is the one who's gone while Balor is still standing. Dominic Mysterio tried to speak only to get drowned out by booze Maybe not heard at this level in WWE since the Elias and KO Supersonics promo. So shout out to Portland, which was the exact opposite of Seattle. And with WWE in Seattle for Raw, I was excited, Chris, at the idea of Dom getting like the same type of heat, mentioning maybe the Sonics again, doing the whole thing. But we didn't get that, obviously. Anyway, Dom said he only lost because he loves his dad and couldn't hurt him while Ray enjoyed hurting his son. He said the Mysterio family can go to hell. Damian Priest then spoke to Bad Bunny, calling them friends, but saying him and Dom are brothers. He asked for Bunny's forgiveness, but said that he forced him to take him down. Then Ray and the LWO entered, and that was pretty much the end of the segment. So a few thoughts here. Uh, Ripley's promo was strong, but it was really unfortunate that it got immediately overshadowed by the Mysterio's feud and the crowd's reaction to Dom. The crowd going after Dom like that was incredible. And Balor, you could see him looking on with a full, like, shit-eating grin, like a proud father that his son was so over as a heel. It was awesome. Priest serving as, like, the fulcrum for the addition of Bunny to the feud, really smart. And lastly, this LWO thing just seems a little bit disjointed with Ray, like, not really repping it. Legato Del Fantasma still being called by their group name, but also being referred to as the LWO. I assume it's purely a t-shirt sales type of play and and... Bad Bunny's going to wear the Puerto Rican version of it, and it's going to get a ton of sales and a huge pop and all that type of stuff. Overall, it was a good, I just kind of wish Ripley got to stand out on her own as the champion. You know, on Raw, she was with Bel Air. 
And then on SmackDown, she was with Judgment Day and got overshadowed by Dom. She's the big winner coming out of WrestleMania. She needs to get her moment in the sun. I'm glad you're right. I'm glad they're making the Puerto Rican LWO shirt, uh, which they have put out there. Also because Zelina Vega is is part Puerto Rican. Like, so it's it's not just it's not just uh, for bad money too. Um, so that is great. You're right. They called them LWO on YouTube. So it is weird. I kind of wish Ray would be wearing the shirt just to kind of put it all together, but is what it is. Dom's heat was incredible. I love the reactions of everybody else to Dom's heat. Like you said, this has happened before. Like sometimes they're so loud and, and priest or Finn will come over and like put their arms on them or something like that. And just kind of like settle him and kind of just soak it all in and all that kind of stuff. He actually flubbed a few lines in the promo, but I think that was just kind of out of excitement. He continues to be the most hated heel in the entire company. Wrong, just, it, it wrong really promo you're talking about, but yes. He, he flubbed lines on yes, Raw. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I mixed those up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's uh, it's great. But Rhea, it's... You're right. We didn't really know what her thing was going into Mania outside of Charlotte. She was more into things when she was with Judgment Day than when she was on her own. So figuring out what's next for her and how to do more and help her stand out as the champion, you're right, need, needs to happen. For sure. So let's keep going here. Uh, Ray and Santos Escobar fought Dom and Priest. Uh, the faces went on a run of Tope Suicidas. Dom caught Ray with a Mishinoku driver. Ray saved Dom from a 619 only for Zelina Vega to Harakarana her off the ring apron. Vega baited her away from the ring and into the crowd as LWO got the numbers advantage. Ray hit Dom with a 619, but Priest was legal the entire time. He ran in, knocked Ray off the apron, and hit Escobar with South of Heaven for the win, and Ray immediately made the save to Santos to end the segment. Now, Michael Cole was hysterical because he was hating on Dom big time whenever he could. Zelina getting into it with Rhea I thought was really smart. That can set up a beatable first challenger for Ripley. Uh, Vega obviously being Latin herself. You put that on the Puerto Rico show, the crowd's going to absolutely love that. And really, the main pieces of this LWO are all going to be on the card now if that match is booked. If Ray and Bunny are winning at Backlash, then the heels need wins on the way to the show, making them going over here the right booking. I just wish Escobar was defeated with a finisher rather than a signature. Minor gripe, he's still being built up. Minor gripe, he's still being built up, but this was good. Yeah, nope, it, it was good. Totally made sense. Zelina as Rhea's challenger, beatable opponent makes sense. Uh, so so that all works. They want to make sure we get some Rhea Zelina segments and not just let kind of Dom and Bad Bunny take up all the oxygen, like, right. like you said. So that was good. One other thing about this, I, I think actually think it was on SmackDown, but it's either way, it's the same thing. Cole uh, referred to Dom as Rhea's boyfriend, which I don't think has ever actually been established. That's true. On uh, in terms of what they are, their relationship it never it's never been boyfriend girlfriend. It's kind of been something uh, a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> however you want, however you want to phrase it. But um, like it's not like they're making out on the show or anything like that. So I just, no, that was the first time we'd heard that, and they didn't. Go, I don't think they went back to it on Raw. So I just had it in my notes. It seems like a very like affectionate relationship, but it has never been established as boyfriend girlfriend at any point. There's not touching, there's not kissing, there's none of that happening. So, I didn't notice Cole saying that. It may have been a slip, but 
I don't think there's been any establishment that they're like dating. It's more just like yeah. they're together. They support each other. They're almost like a, she's, I don't know. She's, she's mommy. She's, she's mommy. mommy. It's like almost like a older sister who you're really close with type of deal. Plus obviously the other elements that are there. It could be something else. We're not going to get into that. Um, Ray Mysterio opened Raw to You Deserve a Chance for his Hall of Fame nod and WrestleMania win, saying he wished things with his son were different. Dom came out, talked shit about Bad Bunny. They went back and forth like usual, ending with Ray saying Bunny is healthy and will be back soon. It led to Ray challenging Dom for a rematch in Seattle, but Finn Balor came out to take the spot instead. So the match started. Balor, with the numbers game, held the advantage early. Once Ray took control, Dom tried attacking with a chain, only to get knocked off the apron, and Tope suicided along with Balor. Still, the referee got distracted. Dom punched Ray with the chain, and Balor hit the coup de grace for the win. Now, the confrontation to start this was a massive disappointment for me. You mentioned this. Dom was awful on the mic. I think it's the worst he's been on the mic in, like, six months. He flubbed nearly every line to the point he got two like common phrases completely backward. I do think they were stretching time here because of the roster shortage, but it was a huge missed opportunity for him to get heat like he got the prior Friday. The match concerned me because Balor was coming off the edge loss. We already covered that was a terrible decision in its own right. And I kind of assumed he would lose again. He didn't. That was a positive. But it didn't really feel like anything was accomplished in the segment. And the win, because of the cheating, it just kind of felt like a shrug rather than being important like it would have been if Balor could say, I beat Edge and now I've beaten Mysterio. You know, I want something significant. Let's not forget, Mysterio got beaten by Theory last week. So now Ray's lost back-to-back matches. It just kind of felt like, what are they doing here? Plus, Balor even wrestling so soon after the concerto. Yes. (laughs) Even if he was the demon at the time. That was weak. Now, maybe he had to do it. Maybe it was supposed to be Priest and, you know, he wasn't on the show. Maybe the travel issue required it. So we can give breaks here and there. But I got to tell you, on a week of segments where I really was positive overall, I'm actually giving this one a bad. I'm I'm close. It Dom's flubs were notable. One of them was like, keep keep your name out of my mouth, I think is what he, <laughs> he said. And then he kind of it was it. so bad. Um it was like the first thing he said. Uh, <laughs> it it felt like it to me. It felt like because it was it, this was the open to the show. Like after they had said a bunch of people aren't here, it felt like we're short on bodies. We got to throw something together. So like I had low expectations and thoughts going into it. My biggest thought was not only did Finn Balor take a concerto uh, a week ago, he had fourteen stitches in his head a week ago. Should he be out there wrestling? Period. <laughs> So that, that was my biggest thing. I, I'm I'm glad he got the win though, because uh, like we said, should have won at Mania. So it, I was mostly just kind of indifferent to it. I had low expectations, so I'm kind of right on the border of good and bad. I'll say light good, just because it wasn't offensive and it kind of felt like it was a last second thing. Yeah, it certainly wasn't like awful. It was just I you know if I can't leave a segment being like oh I had a positive experience watching that, that's when I give something a bad. That's how I felt there. Uh, Brawling Brutes fought Imperium over on SmackDown. I think this opened the show if memory serves. Uh, The heels hit that awesome toss vertical suplex early. Gunther went on a run with a powerbomb of Ridge Holland for a broken fall. Then he put him in a Boston Crab. Sheamus got the hot tag for a purposeful one-on-one with Gunther that included 10 beats. Gunther avoided uh, and countered a brogue kick into a German suplex. Then Sheamus countered a powerbomb into white noise, caught Giovanni Vinci 
off a springboard with a pump knee and added the bro kick for the one, two, three. Now coming out of a five minute WrestleMania video package, this was indeed banger to open the show. I forgot an article, a banger to open the show. Uh, fun six man match, the clear and obvious focus to keep Sheamus established as a direct threat to Gunther. I would be legitimately surprised if this rematch does not happen at Money in the Bank with Sheamus winning the Intercontinental title. This was one of the best matches of the week on any show. I went 3.5 stars and a B. Good. Really hot match. Loved it. I thought Ridge Holland really stood out uh, in this match as Mm -hmm. well. So credit to him. Um, Just really a lot of fun. These guys know what they're doing. And every time they get together, it's fun. And you're right. It's clearly we're setting up Sheamus. Gunther will get there at some point. Money in the Bank, hopefully, uh, would be a great uh, great moment. And yeah, accomplished everything it needed to. Got Sheamus right back where they needed to, coming off of Mania. Gunther continues to still, though, look like the big bad. And he's coming up on various Intercontinental Championship records and stuff like that. So um, th- this was a good bounce back after the terrible Raw, just to be like, okay, I remember, like, there's some good stuff here. Maybe this is going to be a better show, which it was. You're right. It was a great way to kick off that show and kind of say, hey, Raw sucked. SmackDown's not going to suck. Enjoy the show in here. Here's a great match. I agree with that. Uh, Bobby Lashley fought Bronson Reed over on Raw. Lashley was unable to complete the hurt lock with Reed collapsing backwards into him. He went for a tsunami, but Lashley stopped him only to get uh, his eyes raked before a flying like squash press. Uh, Reed ducked a spear, but got taken down with an almighty spine buster that kind of got pretty high in the air. Lashley finally got hurt lock, but they rolled outside. Lashley tried lifting Reed onto his shoulders, but got run into the post for a countout finish to booze. But they continued brawling, and immediately the booze went to loud, loud cheers before a pull-apart separation that you always get to kind of end the segment. Now, I'm really mixed on this one, okay? The match was shockingly poor. Bronson is a damn good wrestler, and Bobby moves well but both of them were operating as slow as molasses and the match was boring as sin. But it did pick up well towards the end and the crowd loved the post-match, even though not much happened. This was basically like a bastardized version of the Braun Strowman Keith Lee segment from a couple years ago, but it wasn't executed nearly as well as that one. You remember they went through the stage. It was that big like deal and that huge pop. I mean, it was the Thunderdome, but we popped on the podcast for it. Now- (laughs) Since it didn't seem to be planned for the show, Lashley and Reed wasn't advertised. And you remember last week, they got into each other's business and it seemed like they were going to fight down the line, not exactly like seven days later. So because it seemed like it was just thrown together because they were available, I'm going to give it a marginal good because the pieces were right. And Bronson Reed, after the show, explained that he was dealing with the flu and not healthy. So maybe that's one of the reasons why he looked so blowed like a couple minutes into the match. I give it only, though, two slabs of beef because it was kind of just a little too gentle. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good. You're good. Gen- about please, time. gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Hey, I'm, I'm delicate. That is the perfect way to put it. Gentle. That is how I would describe it. It was a big men meat, but it match, but it didn't. <laughs> feel like Big they were really <laughs> smacking each other's meat out there. Right. It just kind of felt like doing wrestling type of stuff and some power moves a little bit. So you're right. It was, 
I didn't think the match was boring as sin. I thought there were moments that were pretty good. The crowd got up for Lashley really much at one point. Uh, and then the finish, it built up really well. And then you get the count out and your initial reaction to a double count out is just like, oh my God, we remember that period where this seemed to happen all the time. And you're instantly like, oh no, that was a Vince decision, you know, stuff like that. We haven't seen many of those in a while, but I do understand it. I imagine it's building to something bigger as well. So I will give this a a light good. Uh, could have been more, but I think it will be more. I'm giving it benefit of the doubt good is like basically what it is. Yeah. And and I didn't give that to the Ray and Dom and, and whatever else segment because we've seen that be good. We already know what it can be. And this was one of the worst versions of it that we got on Raw. So that's why, that's the difference between those grades just in case anyone actually cares. Uh, Ricochet fought Ivar on SmackDown. Michael Cole explained that Braun Strowman and Eric were both barred from ringside, but Valhalla was not. By the way, I wish they changed her name from Valhalla. It's like Valhalla. Like it made it like a full name <laughs> like they would do back in like the 90s in WWE. Anyway, uh, Ricochet got flattened with a running crossbody into the LED apron. Later, he came back with a fully top rope Huracarana on Ivar, adding a clean shooting star press for the one, two, three. And this is the type of stuff that WWE needs to do a lot more often. A super over baby face beating a mid-card heel or a tag team heel squeaky clean. This is how you build someone up. And this might have been booked to give Ricochet credibility ahead of King of the Ring and Money in the Bank. So Ricochet, Chad Gable, we're seeing it with a number of guys right now. Good shit here. Yeah, this was this was perfectly fine and interesting and a good dynamic of, of two different guys. And I just... It was really solid. There wasn't much more to it than that, but it was another thing on SmackDown where I was like, all right, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, Xavier Woods and Madcap Moss, still freaking Madcap, all these name changes, uh, were playing WWE. It's, it's not fine. It's terrible. Uh, they were playing WWE 2K, I guess, 23, when LA Knight came in ranting about not being on WrestleMania in LA, while Ooh. Woods got there by playing video games. Xavier told him if he worked like he talked, maybe he'd actually have been on Mania. Knight threw down the controller, and presumably that led to a match next week. It was a fine backstage segment with a nice audible crowd pop for Knight, but not only did they pop when he walked in the room, they perfectly timed his yeah that he actually didn't even say in the segment, but they knew it would have been coming. That's how much the crowd is into L.A. Knight. Uh, they got to get this guy back in front of a crowd as soon as possible. Marginal good as we await next week to see what happens. Yes, marginal good. I'm glad you said all the things I was going to say. Like a pop for just showing up on the screen. That's when you're freaking over, yes. man. I can't believe they blew this at WrestleMania. And they they basically leaned into it. And there were reports from various places. I don't know if it was legit or not, but that there was that they had planned or hoped to do an LA Knight Bobby Lashley thing at Mania on Sunday that didn't happen for whatever reason. I don't know. But man, I'm really annoyed that they blew it. I hope that they... I guess, make it up to him or like understand that they made a mistake and mm -hmm. really lean into him right here. Xavier Woods does not need a win at all over LA Knight. No. Vince is not showing up at the shows. Just please smack down this week. Give us a big LA moment. Give us a reason to continue to get behind him because he's got something right now. And if they don't do anything with it, I'm worried it's going to peter out. I was actually more offended to some degree that he wasn't on the Raw after WrestleMania than that he yeah. wasn't on WrestleMania. Because even though they were building it for Mania and he should have been on the show and it's a bigger crowd and he would have gotten a huge pop, I, I get all that. 
The Raw after WrestleMania, you have time. It's a regular show. If you don't have a match for him at Mania, you can get him a segment on the Raw after WrestleMania. They had three shows after they saw the huge pop he got on SmackDown, all in Los Angeles. They had built up for weeks that this guy needed to be on in Los Angeles to get pops, and they didn't put him on. It was just mind-boggling, but I'm so glad we got a replay of Seth Rollins' entrance on night two of WrestleMania. Again, we didn't want to say it when we did our WrestleMania instant analysis, but There was a clear Vince McMahon influence on what happened on night two compared to night one, at least a larger influence. And I have to imagine one of those was taking a Bobby Lashley LA night segment that reportedly was planned and taking it off the show because for some reason he sees him as Max Dupree and not LA night. One of the most over people in the company right now, despite being a heel and despite basically not doing anything. He's had one feud and he lost it and he's over as hell. He's, He's everything you think Vince McMahon would love. Like he's a <laughs> he's, big, it's unbelievable. Young, muscular guy who can talk. Like he's not some internet darling. Or yeah. Like, like, like a lot of the people on the internet hated him for a long time when he was Eli Drake. So like, I just, you're right. I it's don't unbelievable. Know Vince maybe just doesn't have a thing for him among the, that was in our point among the, there were so many terrible things on the wrestle from the raw after WrestleMania that I just, we just forgot to basically mention that they didn't include LA Knight. It was absolutely mind-numbing. Yeah, it was. Uh, Better than this segment, by the way, just so everyone knows from SmackDown, Xavier Woods posted a promo on Twitter on Monday promoting this match for Friday. Go watch it. Really good. It's the second time in a row he's cut a promo on Twitter that's been fantastic. And lastly here, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's return to SmackDown is official for next week. It was announced via a short video package. Obviously, great news that Nakamura is coming back. A bit surprising they're doing this return before the WWE draft when they could have used that as the catalyst for for him to come back. Also surprising, they didn't just have him return on the Raw after WrestleMania as one of those big surprises that you could have gotten and popped the crowd or the SmackDown after WrestleMania for the same reason. No grade here, but it was worth mentioning. And man, I would love it, Chris, if they actually go back and pay off the storyline with Roman Reigns that they left hanging when he disappeared, let's not forget a long time ago, he was supposed to get a title match against Roman and it never came to fruition. I would love to see that happen. I would also love Boogs to get back to him. Uh, there, so, there was, there was, a, there was a segment on raw talk. Well, for, first off, Nakamura coming back. Love it. I wish, I kind of wish they didn't announce it, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of mixed on it. I normally just hate, hey, this person is making the return next week. I yeah. Always hate it. But maybe you prepare people to sing the Nakamura song or something. But it's okay. It, it's okay there. if someone's gone for two months. He's been gone for yeah. months upon months. It's a big return. He's one of the most popular guys in the company. You don't just announce yes, it and like I that. Want, and I want Boogs to be back with him because Boogs is doing nothing. However, on Raw Talk, I watched the, My brother sent me the clip, a clip from Raw Talk. It's on the YouTube channel. The very end, like the second, it's like six, three, four, five minutes. The second half of it is Elias and Boogs. And it's pretty funny. Like they make a joke about like pulling somebody off or something like that. It's kind of an appropriate joke. Uh, you want to know the actual, funny. you want to know the actual joke he made? You rub me just right every week. Because Chris, I had the exact same thought. We didn't talk about this. I never watch Raw Talk. It happened to come into my feed. There was something uh, EO Sky cut a promo, uh, you know, coming out of becoming number one contender that I saw someone say, oh, you know, this is pretty good. So I watched EO, but then I just kept watching. The Rick Boogs Elias segment was awesome. It should have been on Raw. 
it actually <laughs> was the first time that they felt like a legitimate pair. And yes, I yep. would love Boogs with Nakamura. I would. But I feel like that kind of drags down Shinsuke a little bit. Boogs and Elias together, they look like a team. They sounded like a team. Uh, Rick is playing into this like kind of a groupie, but also giving him a hard time type of deal with Elias. I don't want him back with Nakamura. I want Boogs and Elias to work, and I think it might. See, I, I dis it, it might see. I disagree because I do. I think Boogs made Nakamura feel like a much bigger deal by getting that song even more over. I I thought that pairing was perfect. It was the both of them. It was a great pairing, and it sucked. And it sucked when I was there at WrestleMania 38 when Boogs got hurt in that match because that was the opening match. And though that thing, that Boogs entrance with the Nakamura theme was so over. I love they those two guys got the Mike and uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade commercial uh, around that too. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Nakamura on his own, not really being able to cut promos worthwhile is going to do much. And as much as Shinsuke is a legend, the entrance is a big reason, is a big part of him that is over. And Boogs took that to another level. I don't think they're going to be back together. Maybe the draft will put them back together or something. But it is an opportunity with Boogs really not doing anything, even if we like this one segment. I think putting him the two of them back together would be awesome like RK bro type of type of stuff. So we'll see. We will see. I, I do largely disagree with you on that. I don't think you put people together for an entrance, you know, only I, I know you're not totally saying that, but Nakamura can operate on his own. I think this is a chance for Boogs to really be like 50, 50 with someone. Eventually Elias will turn on him and Boogs will be a super over baby face. His initial return Boogs from injury didn't really go well. I didn't like what they did with him backstage or in the ring. But with Elias, again, if they can take what they did on Raw Talk and extrapolate that onto TV, I think they have something there. One quick note on the way out here because it just came up as news as we were finishing the podcast. WWE, for the first time in company history, has been nominated for a sports Emmy. The Woo! Becoming Ric Flair documentary is nominated for Outstanding Long Documentary, and the winners will be announced on May 22nd at the Lincoln Center in New York City. Pretty big deal. The WWE is nominated for a sports Emmy. Will they win? I highly doubt it, but would be pretty damn cool. Chris, a great show today. We had an absolute ton to talk about, obviously, with you not on the podcast Last week, coming out still of WrestleMania, the sale merger of WWE with Endeavor, that awful Raw after WrestleMania, and of course, what we got from SmackDown and Raw this week, which was a positive step, I would say, but we are still holding out uh, our final judgments on what's happening with WWE Creative. I think the next couple weeks and Backlash will tell us a lot of who really is in control, and we will have those conversations right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On the way out, allow me to remind all of you that you can become a member, uh, uh, join us for some Getting Over extras by going to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You can also find the link in our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. Uh, you get bonus audio, news posts, conversation, all that type of stuff. And it's at a right price because on this podcast, I happen to love the number... Five. Speaking of five, this show is all about 
Defy. So remember that as you head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, drop those five-star ratings on Apple, leave a five-star written review, because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And as I already mentioned, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. Chris, I feel refreshed, excited that we are kind of start turning over a new leaf here on Getting Over, coming out of what was the busiest WrestleMania season that we have ever had together. All of you Getting Overheads along for the ride. We appreciate it so much. The WrestleMania Night 2 instant analysis episode, I should mention, is going to be the number one most listened to episode in the history of this podcast. Not there yet, but it will get there soon. And I appreciate all of you for helping make that happen. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.